CoinRow Plus is your new way to collect, manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinRow Plus at CoinRowPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the Coin World Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. The Coin World Podcast is back for another episode. We thank you so much for being here with us. I'm Jeff Stark. And I'm Larry Jewett. And boy, are my arms tired because I just flew back from Munich. Oh, my goodness. It didn't take it took 38 seconds to get the first joke in there. So maybe that's the last one. So, uh, yeah, I, I will. Uh, I will go easy on the listeners here. It was what a great show. I'd never been to a numismata show. Certainly the one in Munich was scheduled to go in March 2020. And Literally, the show organizers canceled it the night before. You know, having seen the handwriting on the wall, as it were, I canceled my trip several days before just because didn't want to get into a situation where I was in Munich and there was no show, and we had all this, all this fun stuff mapped out, coin-related travel, and did not get to do any of it three years ago. Did a little bit of it this time. And yeah, so it was what a blast. I saw so many folks from the U.S. there. And, you know, Dan Cedric was there for the IAPN meeting. Steve Album, the firm was there, represented by, I, I want to say it was uh, Mike and Joe. There was a, just a lot of, lot of folks that, you know, Dennis Hengeveld, who's been a, I saw several folks who've been on the podcast in the past, actually. And Dennis showed me something really, really cool. And I was about to post it to Facebook and another podcast guest walked up and we got talking. And by the time I finished that conversation with Dr. Paul Landsberg, my free Wi-Fi at the MOC event center had run out. And so I said, well, I'll post it later. And then I took a, a Uber back to the hotel and promptly lost my phone. Dennis had something really, really super cool walk up to him at the show. I guess I can say it here. We we talked about talking about it, Dennis and I. Certainly, I was going to put it out on Facebook. This was a like 1970s era Interpol publication. Interpol is the you know international crime organization fight you know crime fighting organization an alliance, I guess, of international agencies, I think. And there were some pages in this binder that were from the 1950s, but the most recent stuff was 1970s, late, like 76, 77. And it had breakdowns of all sorts of counterfeit U.S. paper money that had been found. And there was references to various situations or, you know, like, Oh, you know, the Minneapolis hoard or something. You know, I, I don't know that that was the term, but the idea was they they identified these based on where the the counterfeits were found and when they were found, and it was just a really fascinating piece of numismatic literature. I was so that was like the coolest thing I saw at the show, 
And it, somebody there in Germany just walked up the show and said, hey, you want to buy it? And Dennis is like, well, I've never seen it before. But, you know, and the guy threw him a number and Dennis countered and the guy took it. And, you know, there's Dennis did some research while at the show. He actually messaged me on Facebook and said, come over here. I have something to show you. And there's some other volumes out there. This one the I'd say the majority of the half of the publication was U.S. paper money. Then there was sort of catalogs of all sorts of new coin issues and paper money issues from around the world, I guess, just so people could stay, you know, in tune with what was out there. So they knew that, oh, if they saw that it wasn't fake, it was real, that sort of thing. Dennis did some research and found there there's other volumes to this that cover other paper money of the world, different counterfeits. And this may actually be a pretty rare thing. And, and you know, it's one of these things I've never heard of it before. And it might be so rare as to there, there's no real market value. There's no way to establish a market value because if people don't know it exists, how can there be demand for it, right? So I'm hoping Dennis does something larger with it in the sense of, you know, selling it at auction. I told him he should he should scan every page and just have a digital archive for it. And he was like, oh, you know, maybe the Newman Numismatic Portable one. And I, you know, I, I don't want to speak out of turn, Dennis, if you're listening, but it was such a cool piece. And I had a blast at the show, despite the way things went and did, to, did some tourist stuff. Actually, one of the days I did tourist stuff, I ended up looking at the state numismatic collection of Bavaria <laughs> there in Munich and bought five, seven, I don't know, seven or eight books. <laughs> Thankfully, my overweight luggage, they uh, they didn't charge because <laughs> I was definitely overweight with the, the books I brought back. It was it was quite a fun time. I'm glad to be back and have some memories to uh, hold on to. And, you know, maybe I'll get to another numismata down the line. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, and uh, one thing to note, of course, that Dennis has recently just started to get into the world of the U.S. currency. And so the timing of that seems like it was uh, rather fortuitous as well. Dennis recently had the uh, first auction of U.S. currency back in late, I believe, late February and just about uh, finishing up on another one here right in the mid part of March. So it's something to keep an eye on on the World Bank note auctions because it's truly now uh, covering U.S. as well. So that's great that that couldn't possibly have found a better place to find a home. Now, you know, you know, you he did have he did have uh, examples of that catalog there and tried to foist one upon me. And I said, dude, (laughs) a for one thing, that's U.S. paper money. I mean, I I like it. But, you know, I mail mail it to me when you're back in the States. I got enough books. (laughs) this Yeah. Exactly. But that's just something to keep an eye on moving forward here, that a lot of things, a lot of developments going on in the world of numismatics. Now, you know, you have so inspired me that in the recent hiatus, we took I took a little bit of time myself and did a little world traveling myself, but mine was a lot slower and I managed to keep my phone. And it was just a relaxing time here. And I was only in one country that had different currency and I did the tourist thing and paid way too much 
or currency of the Dominican Republic because, uh, you know, it's just like I realized it. But I got to tell you something really interesting that happened, because like a lot of people, if I see a machine where people take and I'm not going to go ahead and give them the brand. But if I see a machine where people take their coins and dump them in there in exchange for for money and there's a reject bin. Yeah. 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 So then there's a reject bin and I happen to be standing at a counter and I looked over in the reject bin and for the first time ever. There was something in there. So I ran over to it and I reached down into it and I grabbed the coins. One of them happened to be a Kennedy half dollar. And I'm going, okay, that's pretty cool. But the other one appeared to be a dime. And I looked at it and lo and behold, it wasn't a dime. It was 50 pesos from Colombia. And it was a 2019, you know, recent issue, but it was just a cool little coin course the value of it's about a penny i think but still or a cent if you will but still it was really cool to find that and i took it back to the cashier and i go look look what i found and she goes oh that's really neat what is that it had a bear on it and the whole works and she goes what is that she goes i would really like to start collecting coins i said well thank you very much so i mean it's just like you never know where the interest is going to go and it was just like okay i get a chance to create a disciple this was awesome so we started talking about you know, keep an eye on the uh, quarters that come through and look for the W quarters from, you know, 2019, 2020. And she was fascinated by that. So hopefully a new subscriber, new podcast listener. And if, if you're listening, hi, glad to have you on board. But that was just some of my experiences, some of them in the States, some of them not. You know, you're down there in Florida where it's nice and warm and you went to Dominican Republic where it's even warmer. You know, I had a blast in Munich, but... I, I wish Munich were in the Dominican, at least from a weather standpoint. But Yeah, well, and the, the folks that went to the uh, National Money Show out in Phoenix reported that it was a little bit chilly in the mornings as well out there. So it was just like, uh, you know, the temperature got down. I mean, last year the show was in Colorado Springs, but this year in Phoenix, it was still a little bit chilly out there. It had some, some good reports from that show as well for those who were out there and were able to attend the show. And, of course, uh, the Whitman Expo is coming up here in Baltimore in a very short amount of time. So we're really ramping up. I mean, we're getting excited about the uh, Central States Numismatic Society's uh, big event coming up in Schaumburg, and hopefully we'll have a chance to to meet some folks out there when we get out there on that. And, you know, right now, uh, thank you to the many who have been voting for the most influential of 2023 as that's rapidly going to become my life here in the, the next few weeks. So, you know, we appreciate everybody stepping up and uh, putting down their their viewpoints on that one. And hopefully a lot of the podcast guests that we've had in the past are going to make their way onto that list here. So it's going to be interesting to see. But that's what's really been tying us up right now. But, you know, it, it's so great to have things going on here. And we thank you for listening. Coming up a little bit later on here in the podcast, we're going to have the opportunity to revisit with Jim Brokamp, who is the president of the Token and Metal Society. Jim was down here in Florida for the fun show, and Jim and I had a chance to get together, and we'll have that interview coming up here a little bit later on. Jim just recently helped me with a question that one of our readers had regarding a token that he had found, and that was, uh, I thank Jim for the time that he spent with that as well. So that's going to be coming up a little bit later on, but right now, I want to turn back time because it's always so interesting to me as we talk about our current events here, but there's always a lot of things that have happened to help to get us to this point, and you managed to find some very interesting tidbits. So what do you got for us this week? 
Yeah, uh, sort of playing along this unofficial theme of referencing all these, you know, past podcast guests, we'll talk about two events on the same day in different years that touch upon topics we've explored in depth with guest interviews on the podcast. So we're looking at March 11. What happened on March 11th? Well, in 1786, that was when the London newspaper reported about the Constellatio Nova, private coppers circulating in the former U.S. colonies, uh, as they were at the time. And, of course, we talked about those many years ago with uh, Chris and I did an interview about those, I want to say, early on in the podcast life. And then also on March 11th, but go forward almost 100 years to 1879, that was when the Philadelphia Record published the first public account of the Confederate half dollar. And of course, we've also explored the Confederate coinage on the podcast. So you go look in the archives and and see references to those fun topics if you want to learn more and weren't there with us at the time. That's that's what jumped out to me this week in numismatic history. Now, you know, we always, every week, like to take a look at what was happening in coin world history as well. And I thought, since we're talking about Munich, let's go back to 2019, the last year that the Numismata was held in Munich. Now, for those who don't know, Numismata is an annual show. It's held in Munich, and it's also been held in Berlin and Frankfurt, usually once a year for those three locations. And pre-pandemic a year or two, they canceled it. It used to be held in Vienna, and I don't think it had been held in Vienna since 2017, 2018, something like that. You know, so the pandemic didn't kill that show. It was just for whatever reason, you know, Vienna did not work as a, a show site. But boy, Munich, huh, it was take out the world mints of the Berlin show. And I think that's about how many dealers were there at Munich, although the Austrian mint was there at Numismata. So, you know, there was one world mint at the Numismata show. It was much more geared toward the, you know, the classic issues. Although I saw plenty of new stuff. In fact, I picked up a set of 10 coins from Turkey. I'm going to write about those because found out that a U.S. dealer will have them uh, that show the planets and the sun. So that that's really cool. There was so much cool stuff. Just, just a blast. But anyway, so let's go to 2019. And I want to say March 11 issue. The, the story to me that jumped out, it wasn't on the front page. But in retrospect, I think it it's one of those more interesting topics in hindsight. Not that we're going to look at it as we do now toward the 1964 change from silver to clad, but the story on page eight of this issue by our good colleague Paul Jilks was titled End to an Era of U.S. 90% Silver Coinage. The story references the fact that the U.S. Mint had announced that beginning in 2019, the, the Mint was going to stop striking 90% silver coins in numismatic products and start making them in 999 or three nines fine. And this this required some maneuvering, I, I, I don't know, legislatively, but they, they certainly had to change 
planchets and planchet vendors for for the mint because hey they've been doing this for so long you know the 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 90 fine silver is is such a you know standard in in u.s numismatics back to 1793 that it, it took some doing and the u.s mint is not the only mint in the world to make this shift you see it's very interesting to see some folks, some mints are stay very traditional, very, you know, they do 925 fine sterling silver, or they do, you know, three nines fine, or they do, sometimes there's even less, like there's, you know, some of the German and some other stuff, 800 fine. But from a competitive market standpoint, a lot of mints are shifting to the three nines fine just because it's more attractive to many buyers and and in some cases certainly depending on the issuing authority or the location from which these coins come there are tax advantages I and mean, we just saw this in germany they changed the tax law that is affecting the sale of uh, bullion in in germany and it it makes it more competitive for some men's versus others so there's a lot to this issue i just thought that story in retrospect stood out as the most important one you know and and maybe 10 years from now i'm wrong and there was something else in the issue that that mattered more but that that's what caught my eye anyway what what about you larry what was in the letters page that struck your fancy well, as we get into uh, the more modern issues, we get fewer and fewer letters to choose from. In this particular issue, there were only two letters actually that made the pages in this particular issue. And that was one of those dealt with the American innovation dollars. And it's simply titled, Do We Really Need These? The letter goes, I noticed a few weeks ago that the U.S. Mint has on the 2019 schedule four reverse-proof American innovation dollars for the first four states. The sales dates are to be determined. Why do we need these coins? The dollar coins aren't popular except for the few who use them for transit or candy machines. Very few are minted for circulation. Most previous dollar coins sit in vaults. I may get a roll of each American Innovation dollar from the Philadelphia Mint and the Denver Mint and give individual coins to family as stocking stuffers. I'm sure the proof coins will be in my annual proof set and the uncirculated versions will be in the mint sets I get the kids. But looking ahead, trying to collect a full set of reverse proof American Innovation coins of the 50 states, District of Columbia and Territories seems like overkill. Plus, it seems that they will come out as singles, not as sets of four each year. I don't recall the presidential dollar series needing reverse proofs except for the occasional version in a special coin and chronicle set. I'm wondering if this reverse proof marketing is a fad. What mintages can we expect each reverse proof dollar to have? And if the Treasury Secretary doesn't eliminate the dollar bill, will this be another yawner? So in response, the editor's note was, we've asked for details, but have not received any information. Of course, a lot of times the uh, readers and the collectors say, why do we need this? Why do we need so many versions of it? And, you know, it is what it is. But that was just one that really kind of struck my fancy right there. So there you have it. That was the letter of interest from March 11, 2019. Very cool. So, you know, let's before we get to the interview, your interview with Jim Brokamp, thank you for doing that in my absence, you owe me an answer. (laughs) Good luck. You know, for our episode 190, last episode, Numismatic Notes with Benjamin Swaggerty, 
we got talking about this really fun, bizarre, bizarre to us. Sorry, I, you know, I want to classify from the western <laughs> western viewpoint this sport of Bushkazi or Kokpar in Kazakhstan, and I said it's on a coin of Kazakhstan. So, you know, that's half the information. You, 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 all you need to do is pick up the catalog and start looking at Kazakhstan. What coin features this goat head sport known as Kokpar or Bushkazi? Wow. Give me the year, the denomination. That's all I need. Not even the medal, not anything. Is, I think it's, isn't it around 2014? Yeah. Okay. It's either the 50 or the 500 Tenge coin, I think. I'm going to just go with the 50. So the 50 Tenga coin is correct. That is a base metal denomination, but they also made a silver 500 Tenga version. Okay. So you have the silver version is KM281. I actually don't have the KM number for the 50 the 50 tenga here so it, it's sort of a trick question there's two there's two coins that year that, and they often did that uh, km 297 is the base metal version they often did a base metal 50 tenga and a silver 500 tenga and i want to say the silver was like 925 in any event two coins 2014 you knocked it out of the park i'm giving you credit because you named both denominations and uh, even though you settled on one, and uh, so good for you. Now, now that we're, you know, I'm, I'm just back from Bavaria, and one of the things that, you know, the, the Germans have done since 2006, we talked about it a few weeks ago, is this circulating commemorative coin for every year for all the different federal republics. Bavaria is like a, a massive federal republic, in Germany, I think the largest, either by size and population, or one or the other, or both. So what year was Bavaria honored on this two-euro coin? And bonus points, what's on that coin? I just visited it on Tuesday. So it was, it's a, it's a really cool place. Glad I went, wished I'd had a phone to take pictures, but I do have the coin, so I can look at the coin and fondly recall my visit there. That's all I have for you. You will have, uh, think about that. Uh, Brocamp is, is totally off different subject. We're talking tokens and medals. But think about that while listening to the interview. Yes, indeed, because uh, Jim's got a lot of things to talk about here because, you know, he was on his quest uh, to find additions to his collection. And sometimes you could find things from different parts of the world when you're looking around in other parts of the world, too. So we'll get into that a little bit more, but uh, not going to tip off too much more about that. Here is the opportunity we had to speak with the new president of the Token and Metal Society, Jim Brokamp. It is my great pleasure to finally be able to do this. We've been trying to do this for a couple of years now. Coin World Podcast welcomes in Jim Brokamp, who is the president of the Token and Metal Society. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Larry. It's been a real pleasure. Indeed it has. But I got to get a little bit of a background on you first off. I got to find out a little bit about how you got started in collecting first off. Give us your backstory. Well, it uh, goes back quite a few years as um, 69 years old currently. When I was in elementary school in rural Ohio, 
I found a token on the playground, of all things. And it intrigued me enough to put it in my pocket because it was unexpected, of course, and took it home. And like all boys back in that time period, I had a dresser drawer full of comic books, yo-yos, you name it, odds and ends, skeletons of animals, anything that intrigued a young boy back then, and put it amongst my uh, prized possessions, I suppose you would say. And uh, it wasn't until I was about 18 years old and ready to move out of my uh, parents' home, my dad was a pretty strict disciplinarian, and he he told me, he said, if you're going to move out, he said, make sure you take everything with you and because you're not coming back. <laughs> so I knew he loved me, but he wanted to have me stand on my own. So in that, while doing that project, I rediscovered all this, these trinkets that I uh, had f- found in my youth. And uh, it kind of ignited a passion when I rediscovered this token and it was from a, a town in Northwest Ohio, uh, merchant C.W. Connell in North Baltimore, Ohio, which you told me your background. You went to college in Bowling Green, so you know, you, you've heard of North Baltimore. Yep, Wood County. Yep. And I had never been through that little town. So at that point in time, I thought, you know, I'm going to find out a little bit more about this guy, do some research. And it's been a lifelong research project. It ignited a passion in me to, I was thinking about, well, how many more of these tokens exist and uh, at what towns could I find them from? And so uh, that's how it all started for me. It, it's It's been a lifelong passion. And to this day, I still have a, I'm very passionate about it and still finding new, new finds along the way. Well, and the interesting part about this, it just really shows that in the idea of collecting tokens, you can focus on just about anything you choose, whether it's a subject or in your case, like a region. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no end to different avenues and genres that you can, whatever interest you you have, whether it's tax tokens, transportation tokens, uh, merchant tokens, it's, it's an endless field and there's something for everyone. The object may be different than what the next guy is doing, but the, I would think that the rationale behind what you're trying to accomplish, how you're trying to collect and what you're thinking about is very similar no matter what you're trying to collect. And you find that to be the case? I agree. I think maybe if anything, most collectors will have a basic interest in history. I, I think, you know, personally myself, that's for myself and other people that I collect with and and within the hobby, there has to be some element or percent of interest in history, whether it be local history, state history, or just history of on a particular subject, you know, will kind of ignite a fire and you'll go down that rabbit hole. And of course, it always branches out, it seems to, if you're in the hobby any number of years. Well, now we're talking about the collectors getting together and we're going to talk a little more about Token and Metal Society. But I would think that uh, this is a great place for someone who's interested in collecting tokens or metals can connect with those who may have something you're looking for for your collection or just simply can offer some advice. Absolutely. The the fraternity of collectors that the Token and Metal Society kind of brings together, we seem to help each other. We're a very open organization, helpful organization. We share research as early uh, as my collecting days and as recent as last night, I was 
texting and some friends of mine, they asked me if I metal detecting a friend up in Ohio has a metal detecting friend in in Mississippi, and they were asking me about this token. And lo and behold, it's an unlisted token that was dug. And we worked together to attribute. And, and this particular token has a very interesting story. The The saloon owner was shot in the middle of the street. That's how he, he met his demise. And so each one of these tokens in any number of degrees has an interesting backstory. And you really get a a charge out of discovering something that nobody knows about. And with the interest in history, because obviously these go back to the days. We're talking way back, even before Civil War tokens are very popular. So you're talking in the uh, 1860s on that. But some tokens go all the way back, I would think, even centuries before that. Absolutely. Here in the United States, uh, there's a pre-Civil War. The Hard Times token is a popular area. I have a friend up in the Cleveland area that... You would think everything to be known has already been discovered and researched, but a friend up in the Cleveland area, just within the last uh, year and a half, there's a very rare Loomis uh, Hard Times token from the Cleveland area, and nobody had ever researched it. And he he went the extra mile and went down along, uh, don't know if it's the Cuyahoga River area, that, but he found the gentleman's gravestone and uh, he wrote a really nice article, inclusive article in uh, the Token and Metal Society Journal. So there's all kinds of opportunities to research and learn about areas that have, have as yet uh, been researched fully. So part of the enjoyment, I would think, is coming in the discovery. And like you say, the discovery, nobody had ever seen this before, but in you're looking for your own collecting value. You know, we have coin shows, we have coin dealers, but tokens, I would think, could be just about anywhere. They are. While down here at the fun show, naturally, I'm, I'm beating the uh, boards floor uh, trying to find little things here and there. I, this year, I did not find a whole lot. However, the, that very next day on Saturday, I happened to stop in a little pawn shop in Oviedo, Florida, I literally was not two feet in the door, and I had a circular display cabinet that had a token from Finley, Ohio, <laughs> right in my back door. I had to come 18-hour drive all the way to Orlando, and it's a fairly scarce token. And so you just never know where you're going to find these things, and the thrill of the hunt is, is still alive, believe me. And, uh, you know, with us in Florida, it's funny because I, I actually picked up a Marion, Ohio token down here in Florida. But the, the idea that you can attend flea markets, you just never know. I mean, just like when Pawn Stars, they say you just never know what's going to walk through the front door. You just never know when the opportunity is going to present itself for you to find uh, the tokens you're looking for. That's absolutely true. You know, I've been in this hobby probably 55 plus years. And years ago, decades ago, I would have thought that I would have saw the end of it, that I wouldn't be able to find anything. But the hobby is just as fresh today and exciting today as it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. The pawn shop find is, is a good illustration of that. There's literally every week still, there are new finds to be had and new research to, to bring very interesting subjects to light. So... I would think that a token collector would need to zero in on something that they would particularly want. Otherwise, they could be amassing a great collection. Is that the advice you would give to someone who's interested in starting? 
Start where your interest lies. I will tell you this, 50-some years ago in the Ohio area, and I think this was probably true nationwide, most of us that were collecting would collect an entire state as far as if you were a merchant token collector. I, I see the trend nowadays, hardly anybody does that, that it's more selective in the subject matter. You, as far as merchant tokens, I, I see a trend towards smaller areas. Trying to collect an entire state is, is a daunting task. Collecting a region or your county, or even if you live in a bigger metropolitan area, just your city, it still presents quite a challenge, but an interesting and challenge uh, as we all we all like that thrill of the hunt, you know. And when we were talking earlier about hard times tokens and Civil War tokens, those are well-known tokens. But there are some, there have to be some collectors out there who collect like Chuck E. Cheese tokens or car wash tokens or, dare I say, brothel tokens. Is that the case? It is the case. I chuckle about this because I have a friend back in Columbus, Ohio, who informed me about an area of collecting token-wise that I had never even thought about. Apparently, he has assembled quite an impressive collection of wooden nickels from the Sambo restaurant chain. (laughs) And he is just as passionate about that as I am about my Ohio merchant tokens. And there again, it's the thrill of the hunt. Putting a complete set of Sambo restaurant chain wooden nickels together is not an easy task. There are some rarities within that category too. So, you know, like the wooden nickels and the uh, the different advertising tokens that are that are well known don't seem to be as prevalent today from merchants or from oppor- uh, opportunities fairs that type of thing. How difficult is it to get someone interested if they don't see these on a regular basis? Well, there again, I think as the president of the Token and Metal Society, I've been trying to focus on getting people exposed to it and inviting them into the hobby. It's a great hobby. You can learn a lot. And along with that, I've always tried to I've always tried to acknowledge the fact that you developed lifelong friendships. I have some of the best friendships with my collecting fraternity of uh, fellow collectors. They're lifelong friends, and we share a passion for the exonomia field. Even though we all collect in different areas and different categories, we get enthused about it. It's something that we can share, and it, it adds value to our personal lives as well. I've got to believe there's just so much knowledge right there at your fingertips by joining a club like Token and Metal Society. There is. And not only do you learn about different areas, I never knew anything about Sambo tokens. I'm more aware of them now than I ever have been. But I find it that we network. Just after the fun show, when I went to the Webster, Florida flea market, have another friend for Columbus that stopped down there and we watch out for each other. I said, hey, you know, there's a dealer over here in this one building that has some things that you may be interested in. And I had already been to that dealer and and he does the same things to me. You know, he said, hey, the networking that we do, uh, we watch out and, and lead each other to different areas that we might have interest in. And I went back to that same dealer while my friend was there looking at expo and exposition pieces. 
And I bought another little group of things that, that I didn't expect. The guy had brought out another box of like 500 pieces of exonumia, and we, we both walked away with smiles on our face. So the networking between fellow collectors is also another aspect of the hobby. Had you sat, you know, allow yourself a little bit of time because you're going to need it for something like that. But we were previously we had Dave Shankman on. What a joy it was to talk to Dave Shankman because I personally enjoy reading his material because one of the aspects of a membership in the Token and Metal Society is the TAMS Journal. And that is something that I've picked up at a couple of shows and read cover to cover because that's a great job right there for anybody interested. I want to compliment TAMS for the the TAMS Journal. Tell us how that all came about. Well, thank you. Well, we're very, very fortunate in having such knowledgeable and prolific writer as Dave and several other people. And combined with that, we have a great editor in the a, in a name of Greg Burns. And, and Greg has brought our journal up to a full full color uh, from cover to cover uh, journal. It's an award-winning journal. Two years ago, we won third place. And last year, we won first place. It's outstanding. I mean, it between the, the quality of the writing and the quality of the editing and the publishing, very, very proud of, of where we become, what we've become. And I'd like to use that as a catalyst to ignite the passion in collectors who have not joined us yet. And express the value that that journal and uh, the quality of the writing and the quality of the publishing has to offer. So what compelled you as a member of the uh, Token and Metal Society to make the step to become the president of this organization? That's a pretty uh, pretty big step. Well, it, it is. And I, I didn't really seek it out. There was a position available. I gladly thought that it's time for me to, to give back. I've been the recipient of quality articles and being a member and and I've been the recipient of of it for several years, the beneficiary of all this knowledge that others have presented and and I thought it was time for me to give back to the journal and the and the club. And so I'm hanging on to my bootstraps and and going forward and trying to do the best job and and I fully invite other people to to join us and gain the knowledge and stuff that I've been a beneficiary of over the years. Well, they say the best way to succeed that is to surround yourself with good people. We're talking to Jim Brokamp, who is the president of the Token and Metal Society here. Jim, what is your objective for your term? Do you have any uh, any any goals? Yes, I do. I have I have several personal goals. I want to there again. I want to reiterate. I want to share this with the generations behind us. I know I noticed that uh, there's a lot of uh, closet collectors who haven't joined any formal organization. I want to show them the value of joining not only through the friendship but the uh, ability to to expand your base of knowledge on all aspects of exonumia, whether it be tokens and metals. We our journal includes just a little bit of everything. And I think it behooves someone that's interested in this uh, to expand your base of knowledge. We, we have some top writers and the publishing of the journal really is in a great format to learn about our hobby. We want to make sure we make the connection with folks. And the best way to connect these days seems to be by going to the web. Uh, what about the website? Do you have a website? We do have a website. And you ask about uh, some of my goals. One of my goals is to put us in a position to make it more inviting for the generations behind us, some of the younger uh, people who are contemplating joining. In the process, I've, I've handpicked a, a few really good guys on our board, and 
ask them to to look into updating our website to make it more user friendly so we can squeeze more value out of our website and make it easier to join and also to add some uh, videos about different genres of uh, collecting perhaps use it as a, a means to promote other numismatic uh, dealerships. And, and uh, that's one of my basic goals is to be more uh, technological savvy, I suppose, and up, upgrade and update our, our website, use it as a tool to invite others in. That would help the membership would definitely get involved. Tokenandmetal.org, right? Is that the, the yes. website? Yes, yes it is. Tokenandmetal.org is what you want to keep in mind here because that's the uh, website you're going to go with. Well, Jim, we've appreciated you taking us along on the journey here, including uh, your own personal collection. We look forward to some exciting things that are going to be happening as we go along in 2023. It's been a pleasure to know you and uh, to finally have this opportunity to sit down and talk about this. I want to wish you well on your collecting journey, and thank you so much for coming by on the Coin World Podcast. Thanks so much, Larry. Thanks for having me. And that was our interview with Jim Brokamp, president of the Tokens and Metal Societies. I'll tell you, that's something that's very interesting to get involved with when you find these things. And, and you know, the Tokens and Metals, each person seems to have their own little specialty. I know Jim collects a lot from his native state of Ohio here, and and he and I have talked a lot about, uh, as that's, that's my native state as well, we've talked a lot about some of the offerings that are available there. So it's it, if you're looking to get into a collecting area, consider the Tokens and Metals as well. So we hope that you've had a great time here today on our uh, podcast. We thank you so much for listening to us. We thank you for voting for our Coin World Most Influential, which is underway for just a very limited amount of time yet. So make sure you get your voice heard on that one. So once again, whether you're collecting coins or whether you're collecting tokens and medals, regardless of what you're doing out there, until next time, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Coin World Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about Coin World Plus at coinworldplus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.